I wanted to talk a minute about John and how his other scenes, newspaper or tabloid or underground newspaper, really affected people. Very persuasive paper. Plug at this point, going into talking about John Wilcock on Kickstarter. Check out the John Wilcock comic on Kickstarter this month, going through April. That's ep.tc slash k-i-c-k, or just look up John Wilcock, W-I-L-C-O-C-K, on Kickstarter. We uh, only do Kickstarters about once every few years. Appreciate your support. And it's a great book, too. You'll enjoy it. Thanks a lot. And now we return to how John and I met. And we're just sitting and we're figuring out a timeline for what needs to be figured out. And we map it out really well in, in the conversation, sort of the basics of his bio, that he arrives in New York in 1954. We get that entire timeline down. There's certain parts of the book that I really would have liked to spend more time on just because it was so cool, you know, in a personal interest kind of way. Like uh, John writing Newswire copy for radio broadcast. I really liked the idea of doing that, you know. That would be fun for me. I remember thinking that would be cool. So basically taking news and compressing it compressing news down to being able to be said broadcast as a news piece for radio so that's kind of like the compression he's a uh, professionally he was a text compressor and you can probably totally rewrite people when you're doing that too so you are really writing so that must have been fun for john early on his uh, life in america to just write things and have whatever he heard get broadcast on the radio in another announcer's voice too which in a way also is john's legacy a lot of other voices took something from him in terms of a great idea or a courage and went on and did their own thing and i'm sure in that way a lot of people are the same as john you know people who made an impact on somebody. So I'm not just saying like being influential is an interesting, unique characteristic, but it's more what happens once you start to really pay attention to other scenes. Other scenes was John's self-published newspaper. That's where it really starts to come together that this person, holy moly, this guy is uh, probably the best zine maker in history. (laughs) If I can mix a couple eras up together. Because that's, that's what Other Scenes was. It was a tabloid underground paper that was unique in what it would do with printing inks or how sort of elegant it would be structured because it was still, it was still a community paper, you know, but he would structure it, had polish. It was really cool. And a lot of people got a lot of great ideas from that, you know. I think uh, Andy Warhol only keeps you around if you're valuable. And he kept John around for a long time, you know, until he uh, 
sort of bled him dry for interview. And then he was like, okay, I've gotten everything I need <laughs> from you. And that's the end of their relationship. Although they kept in touch, but in a different way, you know, they never collaborated again after the seventies. But this is sort of another thing that happened on John's visit. Oh, I'm sorry. I was talking about us putting the book together. That was a very cool few weeks or maybe just a week, a really good week though. I just uh, lost my job too, so the timing was perfect. Got laid off. I had a job for a solid decade. And right before he visits, I get laid off and suddenly I'm just sort of at home and it's perfect timing. And one thing I never really talk about with John, and I was a little apprehensive of even addressing it in the book. It was hard for me to take on the whole story. But John was really into magic in, I think, a way that is kind of similar to the way that, like, Coil as a band is into magic or The Fall are into magic. I'm curious orange kind of stuff. But he became one of the world's most uh, known authorities on the ideas of that, uh, co-writing uh, The Witch's Almanac in the 70s and doing a bunch of shifting from doing travel books to suddenly doing books on traveling to visit to locations of, you know, occult locations and stuff. And that's just right there. Okay, you like me as a travel writer? Well, now I'm just going to get a little bit more, make you, make you feel a little bit more maybe not certain about that. Make a, that probably made people a little nervous. <laughs> the Mexico on a $5 a day, people are like, okay, I was loving these guidebooks, but now I'm not really feeling the witchcraft uh, travel guide. But what amazing possible magic with that. You know, he's going out to travel to work on the book with me and then I'm laid off while, while he's in transit. I'm laid off and he shows up and we work uh, out the timeline for this thing that will just now, at this point in my life, uh, 10 years later, it's finished. That was so cool. But then the problem was I would find out things about his own memory for years and dates and times and notice that they were wrong, even in his autobiography Manhattan uh, Manhattan Memories he wrote that in his late 70s and I think he wrote it just sort of automatically it's his own memories and so it was funny to realize how many years off certain things would be and that became a huge effort to really connect it in a way that it wasn't like a entertaining story of how the underground press got started it was actually a descriptive story of what came before what became before what and how and things like that. So getting him in the right order. So we would have to take what we knew about one thing and then sort of find the actual book, the issue or the magazine, or it would be connected to an era or a person that they spoke with. And what's awesome is John published his work. So you find the stuff and it's verified. And you'd be like, well, no, that's so crazy because I totally remember that. 
So it'd be sort of another part of the biography would be just sort of the delight of knowing somebody who had traveled as much as they did to the point that certain things still like crossed over oddly. So we would want to get the right things. And we would also have the benefit of the articles or the interviews that he would do at the time that he did. But that was a lot of it after he uh, visited. So we just then traded back mail and I would get the coolest letters from this guy. Really good stamps. Really, really cool stamps. One of my uh, one of my favorite things that John sent is on my wall, and it says uh, "Sands from Hawaii," and it's three packets of sand, and it's from like the '60s. <laughs> it's really funny. It's just the three kinds of sand from Hawaii in packets. He just send you those, like something he like it's something that he came into in maybe the '70s or '60s. He's like, I want these are great. I want to send these to people for the rest of my life. How much for the whole box? <laughs> And you'd get a box of that. Or you only had one uh, package of sands from Hawaii from the 60s or 70s, and you decided just to gift me with it in the uh, in the mail that he sent, which would, which would be answering uh, details about the timeline. Or he would send us, you know, news clippings. And that was super cool, too. I mean, this guy never stopped, never stopped paying attention. So the other thing that, here's another example during that visit of uh, John sort of pushing boundaries with people and, uh, and forcing the entire room to sort of react to, you know, participate or else. Here's a question, here's an example of participate or else. We, uh, at one point in the day, go to Jeff Nightbird's home, uh, Jeff Shiro from uh, The Rag and uh, New York The Rat, an incredible cool guy. He sold powdered urine in the 80s for uh, drug tests that was uh, free of anything. So like clean urine, powdered clean urine, got very wealthy off it. <laughs> And prior to that, he's an amazing writer too. He's a really, really good writer. And he was a really, really good writer in the 60s with the rat especially. And there's a lot of pictures of him with Abby Hoffman and other people. I know he lives in town, and uh, but we've never met. And John on one of his last days says, hey, uh, can you see if Jeff Shiro's in town? And so I was like, okay. And I look him up. And I get just a number for a agency that he's running, actor agency. And I call that agency and he picks up or a voice picks up. It's like, hello, like really kind of, I go, yeah, hey, is this uh, Jeff Shiro? Yeah. Who's, uh, who's asking? I go, well, I should have introduced myself first. I'm, uh, I'm a friend of John Wilcock. He's in town this week. And he wanted to see if you wanted to catch up or see each other or something. And almost instantly he goes, Oh, the big dog. John Wilcock. We got a big dog in town. John Wilcock. And he totally warms up. Yep. All right. Well, tell me, you know, come on down. John Wilcock. And uh, we go and visit uh, Jeff. And 
it was very, very, very cool. <laughs> With the exception of one moment. Uh, Jeff was cool. He was cool. He was a Hunter Thompson type person when you're meeting him. The writing, again, you should really seek out the New York rat. And uh, the quality of the powdered urine at that place was above and beyond. Jeff has a, a pretty amazing uh, protective dog in his house. Or for whatever reason, he just becomes protective of Jeff around John or something, because he just starts growling at John. And, but I guess he's probably growled at people before because Jeff sort of starts, uh, Jeff says, John, just calm down and, and sit down. And John just goes, oh, okay. And, he's, and he shoots out his hand like in a, in a wag, like, oh, th what a pretty dog. The absolute wrong thing you should do in that moment. And leans into the dog who had been starting to growl. And he just, the dog lunges in the air and Jeff has to run across the room and grab him by the collar and pull him back. And in the space of pulling him back, the dog had snapped his mouth shut like he bit into the air like that. And that made a clank in the sound of the room. And John just, his hands are still outstretched. He doesn't even realize what he's done. Could have been old, which is what it felt like, but he hadn't been cognitively slow previously that whole trip, you know? So it was actually kind of funny how John would sort of bend the room. He goes, oh, is that, is that your dog? And I remember the whole room had to sort of like grab the dog and I put John down and he just was like, oh, did something happen? And that was sort of, John had somehow managed to push the limits of Jeff Shiro's living room. And this is, if you look him up, Jeff Shiro, J-E-F-F-S-H-E-R-O, you will get a lot of stories about how kind of crazy he was and cool still is and so this was the day that I got to meet him or he and I became friends and John was just making the whole room and not nervous but just sort of constantly sort of like edging a little bit further and I was thinking that's that's John and that's cool so it was also horrifying to see him nearly lose his hand <laughs> I mean, oh gosh, you know. <laughs> 